Hello and welcome to And Why Not, the movie podcast from the nerds who haunted themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine and I'm a Superman fan, which is luckiest for this year's summer specials we're taking a look at the cinematic adventures of the Man of Tomorrow, from 1978's Superman the Movie to 2013's Man of Steel, with a stop off in 1993 for the Lois and Clark pilot along the way too. There are some super anniversaries to celebrate this year, with Superman himself turning 85, Superman the Movie celebrating its 45th anniversary, Superman 3's 40th anniversary, the Lois and Clark pilot's 30th anniversary, and Man of Steel hitting its 10th anniversary too. So 2023 seemed like the right year to welcome you to our Summer of Superman specials. Whether you're a regular listener or just dropping by for these special episodes, welcome to the show and thank you for giving us a listen. I hope you enjoyed the film talk and, as always, and if you feel like doing so, you can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials, in the Amway Not group on Facebook, or wherever you see this episode posted. For this episode, I'm joined by Digging for Kryptonite host Anthony Desiato as we discuss Brian Singer's 2006 quasi-Donniverse continuation, Superman Returns. And now, with an advance warning on spoilers and all that introduction stuff out of the way, let's roll the trailer. You've been gone a long time. Where did you go? Hello. Yeah, well, you've been gone. Fearless reporter Lois Lane is a mommy. But if you ask me, she's still in love with you know who. How could you leave us like that? I moved on. So did the rest of us. The world doesn't need a savior. And neither do I. This is kind of a little reunion, isn't it? Heck, I'm a fan. I'll have advanced technology. Thousands of years beyond what anyone could throw at me. But millions of people will die. Billions! You wrote that the world doesn't need a savior. But every day I hear people crying for one. Come on, let me hear you say it just once. You're insane. No! <laughs> no, it was the other thing. Superman will run! Bring it on! Now fly. Anthony, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm ticking on. I'm uh, enjoying being immersed in all this Superman. So uh, I, I figure you're a fan as well of Superman. 
Well, having done over 100 episodes of my Superman podcast, I would have to be <laughs> in that's, order to do all of that. <laughs> that's it. Congratulations on hitting that 100 milestone as well. It's 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 an impressive number to hit. We're 60-something at the minute. So. <laughs> well, I'm getting there. No, Slowly thank you. I, I appreciate it. It's The only way that I can do it is that I, I do love this character so much, and I love that you're devoting episodes of your show to Superman, and uh, I'm very honored to be here, so thank you any excuse to talk about superman i tend to swing most things back around to superman eventually we did a, a christmas one where we talked about santa claus the movie which means i could swing that back to superman <laughs> gets to the point where people roll their eyes but... so for this one we are talking about superman returns so i'll just do a little bit of information about the film so directed by brian singer written by michael doherty and dan harris with a based on a story by brian singer michael doherty and dan harris Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, starring Brandon Routh, Kate Bosworth, James Marsden, Frank Langella, Eva Marie Saint, Parker Posey, Cal Penn, Sam Huntington, and Kevin Spacey. Released in cinemas on the 30th of June 2006 in the US, and then we got it on the 14th of July 2006 in the UK. Grossed $391,081,184 worldwide on an estimated budget of $270 million. Uh, that's according to IMDb. Roger Ebert gave the film two stars out of four, saying the Man of Steel is back in Brian Singer's Superman Returns, which, like its hero, spends a lot of time dead in the water. There is, I suppose, a certain bottom line of competence in Superman Returns, and the superhero fans will want to see the movie just for the effects. Plot outrages, it's moments of humour. When the hero, his alter ego, his girlfriend and the villain all seem to lack any joy in being themselves, why should we feel joy for watching them? I couldn't find Bar a Barry Norman review, but Ian Nathan in Empire Magazine gave the film five stars out of five, saying... Like the flag-waving hero of Richard Donner's Superman movies, the boy from Krypton comes bathed in nostalgia, revered and oodles in religious symbolism. The result is the most beatific, a superhero movie, most magnificent screen incarnation yet. It's all about heart. Not that the spectacle uh, falters, this is the finest popular entertainment since the Rings trilogy closed. Superman doesn't fly, he soars. So, two, one middling review, one very high review. I fall somewhere in the middle of those two, to be honest. But yeah, sort of getting into that. So before we talk about the film, actually... What's your history with Superman? When did you become a super fan? Sure. So Superman was my introduction to comics. It started for me with the death of Superman. I've told the story countless times on my own podcast, but I, I always love to revisit it. It was the winter of 92, and I was with my parents outside a local mall, outside a store in, a in our local mall. It was called Heroes World. And in the window display, they had a Superman action figure in a little box to mimic a coffin and that was to promote the death of superman and i had enough familiarity with the character i think i had an action figure i probably seen something on tv but i didn't i hadn't really truly met the character yet but i had enough there was enough of a connection point there that it caught my attention and my parents brought me in and they bought me the death of superman trade paperback that dc had rushed out and my dad read it to me and i was i was just hooked ever since so all throughout the 90s I was reading the Triangle Era comics, right? So every week I would go and I would get the Superman books. And that was almost exclusively what I read. And I watched Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. I was a, a bit young for it. It was a few years later when it started airing in syndication on TNT uh, here, in, here in the States that I got, I think, a little bit more out of it. Uh, and of course, I watched Superman, the animated series as well. Uh, Smallville hit at exactly the right time. I always talk about that as one of the major cornerstones or tentpoles of my Superman fandom because I was the same age as Clark Kent and I watched that religiously for all 10 years. So that was huge for me. And then 
my fandom has continued, but specifically with respect to Superman Returns, this was the first Superman movie released while I was alive. So this was the first instance where I was going to go to the theater to see a new Superman movie on the big screen. And I could not have been more excited. And ultimately that worked against me for <laughs> reasons that we'll yeah. talk about. But, you know, like, again, just in terms of when this hit, I was, you know, this was early college for me. And again, I had the history that I, that I just kind of laid out. So, I mean, I went into this with all of the, the, the fervor of, of my Superman fandom and, you know, and it, it kind of unfolded for there, but that, that was kind of my state of mind heading into this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was exactly the same. I was, cause we got it a few weeks later. I remember going with my mom to take her friend to the airport and they had a new, um, a USA Today with Superman Returns on it. So I bought that. And that's all. I mean, I was excited anyway. That first trailer with the um, uh, Planet Krypton music and the Jarrell voiceover, which I used when I did a little teaser, knocked together for this. It's just chills. And sitting down in the cinema and seeing, hearing the John Williams Superman theme on the big screen for the first time was like, I still, whenever I hear that music, I get chills right down my spine, the hairs on the back of my head. It's the most exciting piece of music. And with the visuals of the things, the opening credits rushing past kind of thing. Um, and yeah, like you, I mean, again, we'll get into it a bit more. I was disappointed. There were bits I really liked, but overall I left disappointed, partly because I think I'd built my expectations. Batman Begins had come out the summer before and revitalized Batman. I thought they were going to do this with Superman. I think for me, it was a lot of missed opportunities was a big thing. Obviously, like you say, this was also Superman. Th well, no, apart from Superman the movie, the others would have come out in my lifetime, but I was one three and eight i think when they came out respectively so lois and clark on tv was my first mike's live action screen superman um or superboy before if you can and then yeah we had so many near misses from like the christopher reeve superman 5 that never happened to the tim burton one to fly by to whatever the other ones were going to be to finally get in this and it was brian singer the guy who'd done x-men so it was exciting. You felt like everything was in good hands. And then no, that's the thing. All of the ingredients really seem to be there. I, let me also say, because I, I think based on what I said a moment ago, it, it seems like I'm, you know, that I have a, an overly negative opinion of the film. I've actually really come to terms with what this movie is and I've made my peace with it. And there's a lot about it that I enjoy, but yeah, definitely that first viewing coming out of it was a sense of disappointment, but, but yeah, it's like on paper and especially knowing what we did know, and I've learned even more now in, in recent years, just about that development hell that this went through to ultimately get to Superman return. So, but even back in the day, just in terms of everything we were hearing, and, and you mentioned the various projects that never got off the ground, it's like to finally get to this point, to have the guy who had done X-Men, to have the aesthetic and the music and the, you know, the Jor-El from Superman, the movie, like all of the pieces really seemed like they came together exactly as they should. That's what it seemed heading into this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, my opinion on this, I've really grown to love this film to the point where I think it might be my second favorite Superman movie, which, you know, a lot of people have now clicked off. So I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I've, really grown to love it don't get me wrong i recognize everything that's wrong with me and i do still see it as a real missed opportunity because like you i grew up on the my superman life grew up with the triangle era and to sort of ignore all of that to tag yourself on almost slightly like they were embarrassed to tag themselves onto the richard donna thing because it's kind of like we are a follow-up but sort of 
and uh, you know we, we want to you know ride your coattails but we're a little bit embarrassed about it and it didn't take much you could have still done it and done some a few tweaks lex could have become taken the money conda of uh, noel neal and become a businessman there's things i was watching it today and i was thinking of the things i would have done differently if it was me which we can get into a bit later but i just it felt a little bit too nostalgic given everything that had changed in the comics since the Donnerverse. It it felt like a real missed opportunity to gravitate towards that burn era. Because Lois and Clark is and probably the Ruby Spears Superman cartoon is the closest we've had to the burn era on screen. And the Ruby Spears cartoon, I love it, but it's quite G.I. Joe in places. To the point where they use the same sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is fair. Yeah, the Ruby Spears cartoon is fascinating. But yeah, no, that's in, in rewatching a decent bit of Lois and Clark recently. Uh, that was one of and hand in hand with rereading the Triangle era. Yeah, I was struck by how, especially in terms of the Daily Planet setting and just kind of the world of Metropolis generally, it really did capture that feel of the comics at the time. Yeah. And, you know, like yourself, I mean, I have so much affection for it. And I think it would have lent itself well to the movie and, and to sort of, you know, doing something that felt a little fresher. So yeah, I, I think adhering so closely to the Donnerverse, I, I, you know, it's, it's a tough thing. Cause it's like, I get it. I get why they did it in terms of how much love people had and still continue to have for that iteration uh, as well as for singer himself clearly. Yeah. And, and also keeping in mind all of these other takes that would have been a different direction I mean, you look, I mean, again, like the J.J. Abrams flyby thing where Krypton never exploded. I mean, that's a massive departure from yeah. the traditional Superman story. So, you know, I, I get why after toying with that and that didn't work, this was very tempting, right, to yeah. go back to something so traditional that was so reverent to the Donnerverse. But yeah, in the end, I don't know that that was the best choice that they could have made, but I get why they made it. Yeah, I, I mean, sort of now, post Force Awakens, where any legacy sequel very much plays into those greatest hits of the previous one. It probably would have played better, but I think at the time, it wasn't the time for a nos belated nostalgia sequel or semi-sequel. I keep saying sequel, it's sequel in the loosest terms, but I love that they went back to using the John Williams music. I think if anything with, you realise how much in certain Superman mists is that music. I, I get why you would want to move away from it, but at the same time, I don't think you've ever had a piece of music better fit superman this. It, it is you know the, the word iconic right is thrown around exactly. a lot but 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 this truly is it, it is you know one of those pieces of music where you hear it and you instantly think of one thing yeah so and i'll, I'll also say because i've talked about this at various points and i as much as i love that score i i'm not really in this camp where i need that to always be the music hmm. unless and this is the question that i always bring up is the Williams score the score for the Christopher Reeve series, right? A specific interpretation of Superman, or is it just the Superman music? And if it's the latter, then that's fine. And then I get why we, you know, Smallville used it. And, uh, and again, even in that little, that little, uh, Superman cameo at the end of black Adam, it was the John Williams score. So it's like, you know, maybe there's an argument to be made. It, it's, it's just so iconic that that's just kind of the music for Superman generally. So, I, that's not really what 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 I like because I think it's great to get different different uh, yeah. interpretations. All that being said, if there if there were a place where it fits, it is here because this is meant to be. Yeah. And again, I guess it's debatable, you know, how strictly 
it, it's actually a sequel to um, to the first two Donner movies. But I mean, as much as Brian Singer has said, you know, he was looking at those first two movies as kind of a what was the phrase back in the day that he was saying, like a a loose continuity or something like that. Yeah. Like it wasn't meant to be a literal a literal sequel, but maybe a little bit more in a spiritual sense sort of thing, but it definitely meant to be, you know, kind of of a piece with those films. Although there are certain things that just, you know, that it's very hard to reconcile. You really can't. Yeah. I mean, there's the very famous Kevin Smith thing about if it follows on from Superman returns, he wipes Lois's memory or in the Donner cut reverses time. So at what point is Lois like, I never slept with you. What's going on? Right. Exactly. And, Further, I think regardless of which cut of Superman 2 you watch, I think it, I think either cut makes it very clear that after the events of that movie, this is not really a path he can follow, a romance yeah. with her. So even if we were to say, oh, well, then they had a subsequent relationship. Again, I don't think that follows from what you see. So that's, I think that's probably the biggest area where it's just, you know, it, it's too tough to reconcile that. Yeah, I mean, my other issue with it being a follow-on is that you get, he arrives in Superman the movie, Let's be generous and say he's around for a few months. He then gives up his powers in Superman 2 briefly, then realizes he needs to get them back. And then, if this movie is believed, sticks around for a little while and then disappears into space for five years. It's kind of like, stick around and do some Superman in. Yeah. Well, that, you know, it's funny that that kind of calls to mind the Chris Nolan yeah. Dark Knight movies. That was know? always my I mean... problem with that. It was Batman for like six months, maybe. <laughs> I know. I know. But to your point, you, know, you mentioned Batman Begins earlier and that. For me as a Batman fan, and I know a lot of people I'm sure fall in this camp, that movie was so formative. And that came out right after the summer, right after I graduated high school, heading into college. And it was just, it it worked on every possible level for me. And I know it did for so many others. And I think you're right. I mean, that's that probably ultimately worked against Superman Returns because we just had this great outing for, you know, DC's second most iconic character that wasn't just a re you know it wasn't uh you know trying to connect back to the first two Tim Burton yeah. movies right like it was really doing its own thing and was fresh and different and I, yeah I mean I don't know that I really had that in my head consciously but maybe subconsciously it was kind of this idea of like oh we would get something kind of akin to that for Superman and then this went in a different direction yeah that's it. I mean I get for you know a shorthand to deal with the origin you can connected to the Christopher Reeve movies, and then you don't have to worry about, you know, doing the Krypton explode in Superman arriving. Although there are ways you can do that without having to dive into the origin, because you don't want the Krypton exploding to be the equivalent of watching Jonathan and Martha, Kent, not Jonathan, uh, um, Thomas and Martha Wayne getting shot in the alley. If I see a gun go off and pearls fall into a puddle one more time, I'm going to lose it. Yeah, it's like we all, we all, we all get it at this point. <laughs> I think they realise by the time of the Batman, it's like we don't need to see him shot anymore. So how many times can you watch a couple get murdered? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I get one in that shorthand of being able to go quick. But then this film does dawdle a little bit at the beginning. I think when you look at Superman the movie, the pacing in Superman the movie is spot on. It just, it takes a while for obviously Superman to appear on screen. You're a good 30, 40 minutes into the film before he actually appears as Superman. But you never feel the film dragging. With this one, I think there's... If, I think if I was going to make it, I think it would have benefited from a rejig and some tweaks and possibly opening with the plane shuttle rescue and then finding out, off the, then bring Clark back into it and then finding out where he'd been off the back of that. Because you get the opening text, then he tells Martha that he'd been to Krypton and that it was a dead planet, then tells Lois later on, so we get it. 
It's like your opening text was completely redundant. As much as I love the Martha stuff, and I think some of the better stuff with Martha is in the deleted scenes. Yes. I love, I love where he asks if her and Ben Hubbard are dating. Brandon Rose plays that perfectly. It's a lovely scene. Um, it's great. And she has all the new, in the deleted scenes, she has all the newspapers and, yeah. you know, reads through them at super speed and catches up on what he missed. Yeah, there, there's some good stuff in there. And you get a payoff of the dog bringing the ball back. because I always find that scene really mean. I watched yes. it with my youngest. He was about, must have been nine at the time. And he was sort of in the room playing and I was watching it. But because there was a dog on screen, he likes dogs, he was watching it. And then he saw Superman throw the ball and he was like, oh, that's really mean. And I was like, it, it really does play that way. I don't know if it's him testing his powers coming back or what, but it just plays like Superman's been a knobhead to his dog. <laughs> well, you know, again, as far as the structure and the layout of all of this, the the main well, one of the main criticisms I've always had, and even though I've come around on the movie a lot, this I think is still an issue. The, the movie plays as this sort of odd amalgam of both a remake and this loose quasi sequel yeah. and remake in the sense that it really follows all of the main beats of Superman, the movie, not as well, not as effectively. And with some deviations, you know, certainly we see Lex far earlier in this film, right. Than yeah. we do in Superman, the movie, but especially when you factor in that deleted opening sequence where you actually see Superman in his ship, exploring what's left of Krypton out there in space you know, and, and obviously that got cut, but if you if you kind of factor that in, it's like it really it starts on Krypton and then we have our Smallville sequence and then we move to Metropolis and there's a big save. And yes, everything's kind of on a bigger scale, especially the the you know, the, the catching of the plane and all of that. But it, you know, it, it hits a lot of those same beats. But I will say, just going back to that moment of sitting there in the theater, I remember again, the first thing you see is that text. And I remember thinking, <laughs> I was like, that's kind of odd. Like <laughs> I just remember feeling like this is the first Superman movie in so many years. Like, is this really what we want to start with? But then you get right into the score and the opening credits. I'm like, okay, like that's fine. And that Lex scene though, that, that was again, like there were a few points along the way as I was sitting there in 2006 and then, that, you know, in, at the end of June, like a few moments, the text, the Lex scene, where I just felt like I was just getting this bad feeling. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if we're on the right track here. Yeah. So there were a couple of early warning signs. Again, I think because obviously Kevin Spacey's name had been floated around for ages from the Tim Burton project as being the new Lex Luthor, I think post Usual Suspects. A bit like after Breaking Bad, everyone was like, Brian Cranston should be Lex, the new Lex Luthor. I think everybody sort of gravitated with that with Kevin Spacey as well. And it was great that they finally cast him. And I'm in, again, I know this opinion, I really like Kevin Spacey in this. I like his Lex Luthor. He's tonally all over the place which I think possibly comes down a little bit to a slightly messy script and possibly a little bit of just letting him do whatever he wanted to do. I get the feeling that Brian Singer was such a fan of Kevin Spacey that if Kevin Spacey, you know, wanted to go nuts, he could. I mean, we'll get into specific scenes in a bit. Yeah, well, because well, I had mentioned that opening scene with yeah. Lex and then you're kind of talking about the depiction generally, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I like that. I, I love that um, Noel Neal and Jack Larson get their name in the opening credits, even though they're like in it for milliseconds but jack larson according to the i think it's in the novelization he's listed as bibbo he's just Bo with the bartender in the credits but i think in the book he's actually listed as bibbo well so look we got a little bit of a nod to the triangle era comics at least yeah they sort of try and have their cake and eat it a little bit with that because they do their own little version of the death and return of superman as well at the end that's true um 
which I kind of feel is a little bit like, you know, we put all this money into this Superman Lives thing. If we could get a little bit of that in there somewhere. <laughs> and it, it plays quite nicely. It just, I don't know, it doesn't really feel like it's earned in this guy's first day in a Superman. I know they're you know, quasi-sequel, so potentially you've got that legacy, but you don't feel like you know these characters yet. I mean, yeah, let's, before we get into sort of specific bits, generally talk about the cast, I suppose. So obviously you've got, Brandon Routh, who I'd never heard of before this. I really like Brandon Routh. I prefer his Clark to his Superman. He feels a bit stiff as Superman, whereas he's got a very nice charming awkwardness to his Clark that's slightly different to the Christopher Reeve one. For... Yes, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah, no, I, I like him. I And look, I it's tough because he was... I mean, I feel like it's hard enough to step into the, the Superman boots, but it's like it wasn't just that. He had to take on this role. He had to take on the Christopher Reeve yeah. interpretation of the character. So it's tough. But I, I I did always like him. I really liked him when he came back for Crisis on Infinite yeah. Earths on television. And you see, I think the I think the added years really kind of you know added a, another layer to the performance. And I feel like he really kind of grew into it. So I, I liked him well enough in this. I liked him even more in in as the kingdom comes superman yeah no i agree with that i think the years of playing ray palmer sort of allowed him to relax into being superman a bit more for that my only issue with that was he wasn't in it enough yeah agreed agreed oh hey sorry guys i uh i'm still looking for a place to live if if you know anything behind you mr kent (laughs) i made it myself it's a cake oh it looks delicious (laughs) olsen Where are the photos of that uh, birthday clown massacre thing? I'm on it, Chief. Hey, uh, look who's back. Kent? Hey, Chief. Thank you for giving me my job back. Don't thank me. Thank Norm Palmer for dying. It was his time. Let's get you set up, huh? Olsen! Uh, okay, so I gotta run, but I will be back to check on you in a sec. Mr. Kent? Oh, hey, do you know where I can find... Thomas? He was, in certain ways, given a poison chalice, and it was like, you're going to be Superman, but we want you to be this specific Superman. And he tries to do a little bit of his own thing, but he's hampered by, you've got to be do what this guy did to the most for the most part. And I kind of feel like he was never given his chance to properly shine. Because, again, you look at him at Ray, as Ray Palmer, he shines as Ray Palmer. You look at him, like you say, in Kingdom Come. He puts his own stamp on it. He still feels like Brandon Ray Superman, but he feels like Brandon Ray Superman rather than Brandon Ray's Christopher Reeve Superman. Yes. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a very good way of putting that. I mean, Kevin Spacey, to a certain degree, was tied a little bit to doing the Gene Hackman thing, but I think he, I don't think he was as likable as Gene Hackman. No. As stupid that, as that sounds for a villain, but... No, that's the thing. So, especially in terms of the performances, uh, the uh, while I've come around on a lot of them, I really still don't particularly care for Kevin Spacey's Lex, and that's yeah, even that's factoring factoring out the the, 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 the Kevin Spacey of it all. Yeah. Yeah. I think because it was, here's what, here's the thing that's funny for me, at least, you know, Gene Hackman is a magnificent actor. That's still not the, the, the Donnerverse version of Lex is still not my favorite version of the character where there's as much humor as there yeah. is. And, uh, you know, it works and there's such a charm, you know, and this magnetic quality that, that he has. And especially in terms of you look at Superman, the movie and how deep into it, he comes in. It's like, He's got to do a lot, like really kind of quickly. Yeah. And so I feel like that version, it it works in that context 
but when we talk about Lex overall, I do prefer a Lex who's more sinister, who's more calculating, who has more of a history with Clark and or Superman. So again, like what we get from Hackman is not my favorite type of Lex, but it works in that context. And I think it works because of Hackman's charm. There's just so much that he brings to it that Kevin Spacey lacks. And so I felt like Kevin Spacey was neither... I know there are like dark moments and all that, but I, I don't know that he was quite sinister enough to really be the like the full-fledged Lex that I think of in, in my head, nor did he have the charm to really recapture what Gene Hackman had done. And yeah. so I felt like you were stuck with something that was kind of in between and uh, largely didn't work for me. Yeah, no, I I can see that. And again, this, this bit's his whole thing about, you know, God's a men who go around in red capes not sharing their power or whatever it is where he just sounds and acts like a petulant teenager yes I'm like, i wanted the last biscuit but kind of thing um well and and that's and that's the, that's a perfect i'm glad you mentioned that line because when i did my rewatch that you know that's that's something that always jumps out at me because it's an interesting idea but I don't feel like that really goes anywhere no exactly I, you know <laughs> if you want to explore that as as his motivation, right? Which would add a different component. You go back to the to the Donnerverse and, you know, Lex has his real estate schemes and like Superman's in the way, right? And that's that's kind of it. Uh, you know, whereas here, if it's going to be more of this underlying, uh, you know, philosophical debate about Superman's power and, and all of that, that's, that's something else. But I feel like that's really just kind of thrown in there and they don't really do anything with it. No, I'd agree. I mean, I'm so bored with Lex and Land. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just really in like 30 years or just under 30 years since superman the movie we can't come up with a better thing for lex than yeah, he just wants land just a land grab he wants a beach from and let's face it the land he creates is not appealing to anybody i would want to live on it <laughs> i mean that's the thing I <laughs> that uh even putting aside the fact that and we've seen this we've seen this we've seen this plot from this character yeah. before <laughs> But on top of it, yeah, it's just it, it's it's a huge disconnect, and uh, and and it's something that you know we could kind of poke some fun at and laugh at. But but it is true. It's like how is this supposed to work? I mean, I guess if there's truly nothing else left or not much else left, that that rock would be better than nothing. But it's, it's very hard to look at that and and see that as something that would be in any way, shape, or form appealing. So yeah, there seems to be like this massive hole in, in his plan. I've always said the thing I love about the decision they made to make him a businessman in the comics rather than just, you know, the crazy mad scientist is that you create a um, villain that Superman can physically be easily, but because he's this guy with this reputation, actually proving he's a criminal makes it almost impossible for Superman to actually beat him. It's what they sort of explored in the first season of Lois and Clark quite well. Obviously, that being a Adventure of the Week kind of thing with a loose thread running through. And then, you know, the end of season one of Lois and Clark, spoilers for that, is them actually finally taking down Lex Luthor by exposing him as a criminal. It's that's more interesting to me a hero that he can't beat, a villain that he can't beat with his strength, that he has to outthink, outsmart. And I, that's where I would have liked to have seen Lex Luthor become a businessman. Because that whole thing with Lex Luthor in the comics is that he doesn't like that there's somebody more powerful in metropolis now that's looked up to more than he is he feels like superman's trying to steal his spotlight and that jealousy angle is an interesting angle to explore absolutely i think that would have served this movie so much better in a number of ways 
there's a scene where Clark learns right from from Jimmy, right, that Lex got out because Superman wasn't there to testify against him. So if so, like, that's the thing. I feel like the movie gave you a great setup for it. And but they didn't take it as far as they could. Right. Yeah. So it could have been that not only did Lex get out because Superman wasn't there, but he was now able to rise in the business world. Right. So that adds to Superman's guilt as to, you know, what's transpired in his absence. And then again, I think also would feel like a, like a reasonable enough evolution of the character. So it's like, yeah, it can still, you know, you know it can still be your Donnerverse version of Lex, but now just kind of taken to another level. So yeah. you could kind of have your cake and eat it too. And, and again, I you, you know, the examples you cited of, of Lois and Clark and the comics, you know, by this point in time, Smallville too, even though Lex wasn't you know fully evil yet, but, but, you know, it's like by this point in time, we've seen a lot of great instances of the evil businessman Lex and the dynamics that it creates and, you know, it gives Clark more to do, right? Because now it's, it's you know, you know, put some of the onus on Clark, the reporter, in terms of uh, investigating. Yeah, I, I think that would have that would have been the far better way to go. Yeah, I mean, even, obviously, it's easy to look with how the world is now, but Lex sort of, you know, implying that he was set up by Superman, framing Superman as the villain for putting this innocent man in prison. Look, he got out, he got off by a court of law, even if it's on a default, because he was innocent. And sort of turn in that sort of thing. It's a little bit what they sort of touch on a kind of with Lex Luthor in Batman v Superman. But again, I don't think they develop it because there's so much going on in that film that they don't really have time to explore their ideas. That's a different film for a different time. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I just think they could have done so much more. So obviously you've got those two. Then you've got possibly one of the most put upon castings, Kate Bosworth's Lois Lane. Every time I watch it, I kind of wish Parker Posey had been Lois Lane. Parker Posey's great in this film with the little bit she's got to work with. I would have loved to have seen her as a take no prisoners Lois Lane. I don't hate Kate Bosworth. I just don't think she's right. She feels a little bit damsel in distress a lot of the time. She has moments, but she doesn't ever feel like that storm into a room, tell everybody what's what Lois Lane. I, I, I agree. I think this was another instance, you know, we talked about it, Brandon Routh kind of aging into the role yeah. more recently. I think this was another instance of probably a little, little too young. Uh, I think that was probably part of it, but it's, it's funny. I was, I, I've been thinking about this when it comes to Lois Lane's on screen. I feel like we have gotten far, far better, you know, casting picks on television than in the movies. Yeah. And again, I know people love the Donner, the Donner films and, and Margot Kidder. And th there's a lot that I do enjoy about her performance. And I think she definitely taps into those, you know, like those core principles of Lois Lane, but still doesn't really rise to the level of, of one of my favorites. I, I, I found Kate Bosworth to be quite lacking overall, yeah. but, but upon rewatch didn't, didn't sort of ruin anything for me. Like she was just kind of fine. I didn't, I wasn't like offended by the performance, but I, I don't think she was a great pick either. And more recently, you know, Amy Adams, fantastic actress, but I still never really, I don't know that I ever, and I, I, I am, I am a defender of the, of the Snyder films. I, I did enjoy those movies, yeah. but uh, but but again, and as far as casting goes, I never I don't know that I ever totally, totally like felt her as Lois. Yeah, know? I always found with her Lois that her go to thing was like, I'm a Pulitzer Prize winning author. It's like, cool. Yeah. Or journalist, reporter, sorry. Um, it's like, cool, but back it up with something. It's a bit like the whole, you know, the symbol means hope. It's like, cool, show me. <laughs> no, fair enough. And, 
Um, and, and again, I'm not. I love that people love those films. Um, I love that there's any form of Superman out there that people it gets them into Superman, or you know, even if it's just that version of Superman they love. I love that they love a version of Superman. Exactly, but then you contrast the 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 big screen versions with Phyllis Coates on Adventures of Superman, yeah. Terry Hatcher, Erica Durant, yeah. Bitsy Tulloch, and I you know I look at Dana Delaney and you know that's the thing is like I look at all of the the TV Loises we've had and and they to me really feel like the character brought to life in a way yeah. that the on screen ones for me don't don't rise to that level. So in that sense, I, I guess. I don't know. We can cut Kate Bosworth a little slack, I suppose, because I I don't know that. Again, I don't think she had a lot to work with. I think the problem for a lot of people in this film is that they didn't have a lot to work with. And it's you get your Parker Posey's, your James Marsden, who do the best they can. Frank Langella, who do the best they can with the material they've got. Actually, I'll throw Sam Huntington into that as well. Yeah. I love his Jimmy Olsen. Yes. I love the way when Clark's looking at the family photo, he just appears over his shoulder. Yeah, his, his was a, he was a very endearing Jimmy. I I always liked his his Jimmy Olsen. I, yeah, like I say, I've I've grown to love this film. I recognize everything's wrong with it, but there is a lot of poison chalice in this, with what people were given to work with. Even Parker Posey was just a Miss Tess Marker like kind of character, but she she did stuff with it. I love just her deadpan deliveries, like you know, Chiles, uh, Glex. That was impressive. <laughs> Yeah, no, she uh, was great. I mean, you know, poor Cal Penn in the, I, 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 I guess there was d- deleted scenes. I can't remember offhand, but it's like, he doesn't even speak in the, in the theatrical cut. Yeah, I think he speaks in a couple of the deleted scenes. I think there's a scene where he asks Lex why he's with Kitty and that sort of thing. But yeah, he has very little to do. With I don't know if he was just there to punch the script up. Maybe. <laughs> it, it feels a little bit like Shane Black on the Predator set. We'll give you uh, a small role and you can just be around to punch the dialogue up when we need it. It's, I love... The Superman stuff. I love the plane shuttle rescue. I wish they'd done a bit more, used a bit more of the footage of actual random race and a little less of the CGI. It's not so bad in those scenes. It's later on when you do close-ups of him and it's a weird CGI random race, which didn't really bother me at the time in that weird way that 2006 special effects, you're kind of like, oh, that's really impressive. But then with 2023, look at CGI, you're like, oh, that's a bit rubbery. Um, but yeah, I love that. I love him floating in space, listening, and then flying down. I love the bit with the guy with the Gatling gun. Um, yes. And I love when he's asking, he's going out to rescue Lois, and then he realizes that something heading towards us. He has that brief pause of, does he carry on to rescue Lois, or does he go back? And he decides to go back. And I love that whole bit, rescuing people in Metropolis. I think it gets all those action beats really nicely spot on mishandle some of the other stuff potentially but what sort of what's your feeling on those action beats because again i know some of those are divisive people i know that one of the one of the biggest complaints in the action department with respect to this movie is that he doesn't he never throws a punch in this film and and it is true there's a lot of lifting right he's lifting things and, and, and all of that and yeah i think as far as the overall spectacle it is lacking. However, those sequences you mentioned are very effective. Again, the, the you know the bullet bouncing off the eye is is, is great. You know, I love that. A, and I love the cool... way they both watch the bullet fall to the floor. Yeah, I mean it's great. And yeah, the whole sequence where he's flying through, like you do get to see him use the range of his powers. You know, which which is great. So there's a lot there that that definitely works. It's funny, and I've I've found this with so many of the things that I've covered on, on my podcast, where with the benefit of some time and distance and perspective, I found most things tend to improve 
uh, when you go back for rewatch because now you can go in and just kind of appreciate them for what they are and in their proper context without that all of that baggage of the expectation of being there opening night and and wanting this movie to be everything. And now that we've seen Man of Steel, like we've seen a version of a Superman movie where it's just like all out action and a, the city is getting demolished and we're getting we're getting those fisticuffs and we're getting all of those things that we didn't get here. And regardless of where you land on that, there are you know, folks who feel like it was destruction porn and Superman should have gotten them out of the city or you feel like, hey, that was probably realistic if you had these two people throwing down yeah. and it's his first day on the job and he doesn't know what to do yet. Like regardless of where you fall on that, we all recognize we got you know, we got a level of spectacle and action in Man of Steel that we did not get in Superman Returns. And so I think that that benefits Superman Returns because now as you're watching it, it's not like, oh, but I want to see what it would be like to see him fight through the city. Well, well, we've seen that. Yeah. So now you can just kind of take this for what it is. And so I don't I don't mind that at the same time, looking at this in a vacuum or just putting it back. And, you know, when it first came out. Yeah. I mean, I think there there probably needed to be something a, a little bit, a little bit more there. Um, yeah. But what we there are some again, like in the plane catch, like there's some great set pieces. I don't think he throws a punch in the Superman the movie either, because I think the problem with Superman is unless he's got like a General Zod or a Brainiac or Doomsday or somebody like that to fight, it's very difficult for him to throw a punch. I mean, I've always liked that Superman is fighting as a last resort rather than I've always liked that idea of Superman. You know, he will fight, but if he can talk it out first or subdue without harm, kind of thing. He try, there's a little bit when he has the scrap with Lex and his goons at the end, but it's less of a scrap and more of him having the living snot kicked out of him. And that scene, I remember what you saying it in your episode as well, is totally very uncomfortable. There's two really uncomfortable bits. There's that and there's the goon when he attacks Lois on the boat. Yeah. Because that bit starts to play like it's going to be a bit comedic because she's trying to grab all these things and they're bolted down because obviously he's on a boat. But then he knocks her head into that um, object. And that's got horrible sound and she goes down and that's a really uncomfortable scene you're kind of glad when he gets squished by a piano <laughs> yes yeah um, for sure and then you get later on i mean i suppose lex fighting superman is a little bit like is it prices of the crimson kryptonite really power of superman and he's just like beating the snot out of him in that mm-hmm. it's kind of it's the pile on that's really uncomfortable it it is. I mean, that's one of the things, one of the things that ultimately did. I mean, w- weirdly, but did enhance my appreciation of the movie because when when you when you watch it now, yeah, I mean, it, it is uncomfortable. It's so brutal and so ugly. And you know, again, going back to sort of the the, the Christ symbolism, it's like the stations of the cross here. It's like as he's as he's being beaten by these people, and. I don't know. I found it more effective upon rewatch recently yeah. than I did when I first saw it in the theater. So, uh, and, and I'll also say for myself, I, I mean, I, I always, whatever we're, we're talking about, I mean, I always care more about the story, the, yeah. you know, the interpersonal dynamics rather than the spectacle for, for the most part. But, you know, at the same time, recognizing the nature of this kind of movie, I, you know, here's the other thing too, especially when we compare it back to Superman, the movie. And I think it's a fair comparison to make. I mean, the Superman returns I, I, invites it. I was about to say it, it opens the door, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely. But I, I think with Superman, the movie, I think it was the, the, the origin story I thought was told so beautifully. And it was, it was genuinely interesting and compelling to see how, how this person goes from, from Krypton to Smallville to Metropolis. And you know, you're following the journey and, 
And I, I know they were trying to recreate that with Superman Returns and this whole idea he's been gone and now he's back. But I don't know. I, and I don't know exactly where, where it falls flat, but I think there's something about that that just it's not as inherently interesting or compelling. I mean, maybe part of it is this whole idea like, you know, he went to see if Krypton was still there. It's like, well, we, we know it's not. And I know there's, you know, and we get a little bit more, I guess, even in the deleted scenes, like that Lex was the one who had kind of set him up for this yeah. and everything. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's something a little bit that's missing there as they're trying to recreate those beats. But I don't think it's as as compelling. And so maybe then you need a little bit more of that spectacle to to keep the movie, you know, moving along a little bit. Yeah. I do like the little shots of Superman just flying around Metropolis. Again, it's him going places, but I do like that they do actually include those. You just see from the ground level people reacting to him flying, that sort of thing. I like his rescue of Kitty in the car, and obviously the little action comics number one front cover. Yeah, There's no way that kid got that good a photo on that mobile phone though <laughs> but yeah it's it's nice little bits i like when he saves the catches the globe i'm glad somebody was filming him doing that because that's going to make that insurance claim for that car owner a little bit easier <laughs> but yeah superman put a globe on my car really though yeah no it's it, it's great and the and i will say i think thematically this whole idea of whether or not the world has moved past superman the world has left him behind I, I do think that resonates and certainly within the context of the story, but kind of this more meta commentary about yeah. whether or not Superman, just in terms of the culture, still has a place, is still relevant, would people still be interested in his story? And the line I always go back to is when he says to Lois, you wrote that the world doesn't need a savior, but every day I hear people calling yeah. out for one. And one thing that I wish we had gotten more of that's funny. I know I said I've made my peace with this film, and I think a lot of what I'm talking about are the things that still kind of bother me. But again, I think that's a great idea, and I thought they yeah. set it up really well. It would have been nice to see more of the world's reaction to Superman. Like, we get yeah. so much of it just through the lens of Lois, but there's a very personal component there. Like, it would have been interesting. I mean, it's for all intents and purposes, it seems like the world's like pretty happy to have him. Like, Lois won, won the Pulitzer, right, for this article, Why the World Doesn't Need Superman. And when Superman shows up, like everyone seems pretty like pretty on board right away. Like it would have been interesting to see a little bit more. Eh. Eh? Eh? These are iconic. And they were taken by a 12-year-old with a camera phone. What do you got else? I got those. <clears throat> look, in the sky, Chief. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, look, it's you wanted to see me? Yeah, Ken, come on in. Sit down. I want to talk a little strategy. Okay. First off, Lois, I don't understand what you're doing sneaking around covering this blackout. Uh, it wasn't just a blackout, Chief. Cell phones, pagers, automobiles, Every airplanes. other paper in this town has got a female reporter, a good-looking female reporter, stashed on the roof covering Superman. And you two are the ones with the history. Chief, I've done Superman. <clears throat> Covered him. You know what I mean. Yeah, that makes you an expert, so you're going to do him again. But there are a dozen other stories out there. Yeah, name one. Well, there was a museum robbery last night. Even Superman is that one. He's too busy saving this hooker. Why don't you guys track down Lex Luthor? Well, I mean, no one's seen him since his, his fifth appeal, and he's got more bad history with Superman than anyone. Maybe he's got something to say, eh? Luthor's yesterday's news. No, I like that idea. Perry, Lex Luthor is a career criminal who nearly killed him, for God's sakes. Jimmy, what? how'd Lex Luthor get out of prison? Why? Well, 
the appeals court called Superman as a witness, and he wasn't around. How much do you think that pisses off Superman? So give him to someone else. A lot. A lot. Give him to Polly. Lois, Superman. What about the black? Kent, blackout. Great. Thanks, Chief. I logged it on Letterboxd today because I watched it and then I looked at some of the other reviews and somebody made a very good comment that somewhere between this film and Zack Snyder's Man of Steel is a perfect Superman movie. And I think if you could get those two balances and meet somewhere in the middle, it would already... Because Zack Snyder's Superman is very much about people not trusting this alien. And again, I don't think it fully develops that as well as it could, but the idea is there and it does do something with it for a little while. I think this needed a little bit of that, of like, he's been gone. How can we trust him that he's not going to disappear again? Because again, let's face it, if we are following on, he's already depowered himself once so Zod could take over. <laughs> so he disappeared then as far as the world's concerned. He then disappeared for another five years. It's like, how can we trust this hero? I don't know whether they were planning. I mean, obviously they were planning for a sequel. The Brian Singh has talked about his ideas, what it could be. But I think they were relying too much on the crutch of the two Donna films. Because um, I don't know which version of Superman 2 it's meant to follow on from. I know he said that it's meant to be the Donna cut, and then there's things that don't fit with that, like him destroying the fortress at the end of the Donna cut, and things like that. I just, yeah, it's messy. I try not to tie it too much to those. As we've said before, it's a sequel in the loosest, loosest term. Yeah, um, I think I think again, kind of like this spiritual sequel where where he had this relationship with Lois, and we can sort of use Superman to to kind of fill in the gaps of what that was. Even though, yes, we recognize in terms of a strict continuity sense, there's no there's no line really from either cut of the Donner films that would lead to what we see here directly. But just kind of the sense of this that they had this relationship that they tried. I think that's. I think that was kind of the intention. Yeah, I think they'd have been better saying like, you know, view it like a James Bond kind of continuity. So the Connery to, let's say Brosnan films, that that loose continuity that it doesn't quite add up, but you can fill in the blanks with roughly what happened here, kind of thing. Right. I think they played marketed it too much as you know it's a return to the Donovers kind of thing, and then the film, the actual World of Metropolis, doesn't look anything like the Donovers. They've got that really nice Art Deco Daily Planet set, which I know, again, divided some people, but I quite like it. It's possibly my second favourite Daily Planet set. Um, but then I'm quite a sucker for that Tim Burton Art Deco kind of comic booky look. They pack it nicely with the hustle and bustle, but it doesn't feel like a real newsroom kind of thing. But like, I love the Lois and Clark one. That's very much a TV newsroom. <laughs> it's not a <laughs> metropolitan newspaper kind of newsroom. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, this specific little moment, I love sort of going right back to the end. I love how the Warners as time goes by music fades into the Superman music and just ends with that little sting of the Williams theme. I love when, all right, actually, let's do this. How do you feel about Superman being a dad? Because again, that was something that split people. <laughs> yes. So, for the most part, I think this is an aspect that that works well and is an underrated aspect of the movie. I know I know there's been a lot of criticism of it. I think 
I mean, there's a lot to unpack here because yes, I mean, not to belabor the point, but it's like, yes, if we're, if we're trying to look at it in this strict sense of, of how it happened, then we, we run into some walls, but you know, putting that aside, uh, that was actually one of the reasons I was most excited to rewatch the film, um, you know, within the past year or so when I covered it on my show, because that was the first time that I watched it since I became a dad. Yeah. And I thought, well, that is, that has changed my perspective on everything. It's like, I, well, this probably will make me feel differently. And it does. I mean, it, it really does. And especially when, uh, you know, Superman is talking to him and gives him that whole speech about the son becomes the father, the father, yeah, the son. Gives him Jor-El's words that he was given to him. I've yeah. never really liked that scene. And Brandon Rice delivers that beautifully. Absolutely. And I think it's a great, I, you know, I've gone on a whole, whole thing about the Donner cut on, on my show as well. And and even though there are things that don't, don't quite work in that, having Jor-El there where we didn't have him in the theatrical cut just closes this this thematic loop from superman the movie and i just feel like it it just fuses those movies together in a really yeah. beautiful way and then similarly when you add this onto it i feel like this kind of completes that that arc so i think it's a it's a beautiful thing so i uh yeah i mean i don't have an objection to you know to to the sun in this and i think that's one of the stronger points of the film that's it because we're also looking at it now from a time where in the comics superman has a son yes which I think. I mean, I again, I quite liked it initially. I think I was a little bit like, "Oh, really?" And then I wanted it again when I became a father. I also gravitated more towards Jonathan Kent as a character when I became a father, because <laughs> kind of I'm like, I, I'd quite like to be a Jonathan Kent kind of dad. It's like it's not easy. In fact, it's nigh on impossible. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, sort of like you know the John Schneider, um, Lois and Clark, even the in the comics. Jonathan Kent is like, you know, that's my comic book dad. <laughs> if I could have a comic book dad, that would be my comic book dad kind of thing. I think that's something that's been missing from the films as well, is the Kents. I like that Martha's still around. I like, again, he gets one scene where he's shouting goodbye to Martha as he leaves the house, and then he's slightly off camera at the end. But Ben Hubbard is a nice addition. And like I said, I do like that deleted scene where he turns up to take her to bingo night, and the clerk's like, what's going on here? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a whole other conversation about whether or not the the Kent one or both of the Kents should live. But again, as someone who grew up with the Triangle era comics and yeah. Lois and Clark and Superman, the animated series, that's how I see the character. And I, I, I love the idea of, of him being able to go back to the farm and seek their counsel. And and especially now, and I think the, you know, we've only started to get this like a, a little bit in the comics because the Kents were gone for a while and then, you know, the doomsday clock that came back and all that. But but now that Lois and Clark do have a son, it's like now you have the grandparents like there's, yeah. you know, it just opens up different avenues to explore. At the same time, I do. I, I think you look at something like Superman, the movie and Jonathan's passing and the effect that it has on Clark at that stage in his journey and what it launches him into. I mean, I can I can definitely recognize the value and why you might tell that version of the story, yeah. but in my heart, what I always gravitate to is them being alive. So, you know, that, that's always where I go. Yeah, it's my big hope that James Gunn keeps them alive. I think the trouble with keeping them alive in movies is that you can only allocate a certain amount of screen time to them and then what do you do with them? It's a bit like the problem they have with the X-Men films. It's like we've got so many characters, we've got this little bit, and then just kill them, I guess. <laughs> um, but I agree with you. I, I think Jonathan Kent, certainly in the context of Superman the movie, serves an important thing that, you know, Clark says it with all these powers and I couldn't save him very much. Sort of, I think grounds the character of Clark. 
you've got limited things to what you can do in a movie. I've always thought that Superman had worked better as a TV series with a movie for the big stuff. So you build the world in the TV series, then you have a big spectacular cinematic release, and you go back to the TV series. That, listen, I would be totally on board with something like that. We've always had this bifurcation, and it's always like, you know, we've different versions. But yeah, in a world where it could be one ongoing story with the same cast, and it's just that we can kind of like scale it up for an occasional movie. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, it's, I mean... It never happened because they're just two completely separate worlds, it seems. But but it's it's the way it's the only way you can. I mean, comics by their very nature serialize. It's pretty much the only way you can do it. Well, I think they find yeah. that problem with Superman sequels is what do we do with him now? True, there is that. But I mean, you look at what Marvel's doing now. You know, with the MCU, with their Disney yeah. Plus shows and the movie. So like the model is kind of there to some yeah. extent. Oh yeah, whether or not we would actually see that <laughs> happen on on the DC side, who knows? But yeah, I mean, something like that would be cool. I think it's getting an actor willing to make that sort of commitment is possibly. I can imagine after several years, possibly even playing Superman and get tedious. If you're doing yeah. it, you know, for TV, then a movie, and then back to doing it on TV, it's like, I imagine no, it's, it's like a, a lot of things like that. It's I'm true. always amazed when people tie themselves into like ten seasons. I can kind of see why Tom Welling walked away from the whole Smallville thing for a little while after 10 seasons of doing it. Yeah. He, and now look, he talks about, to it, a bit talks now, about but... it every week now on his podcast. So <laughs> yeah. see, it all, it all comes around, but no, I mean, going back to your question, no, I, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Superman having a child, I, 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 I don't know. I'm trying to remember how much I like what I really thought about it at the time. I, I don't know, but, but definitely with the, with the passing of time and, and rewatching, I, I do like it. It's, you know, it's heartbreaking that he's missed out on the first yeah. few years of his child's life for, you know, again, this very misguided quest to try to find Krypton out there. Uh, I mean, I think probably the what what I imagine people have the larger issue with, and I don't know if this was <laughs> where we were going to go next, but the, you know, sort of the the spying on yeah. on Lois and, and at home or the super stalking, as I know it's it's been called. I mean, where where, where do you land on that piece of it? It's particularly now as well looking at it in the modern sensibility it's even worse it always felt a little bit icky then i kind of got what they were going for they were going for that let's face it multiple rom-coms have built up the pining loner kind of you know wanting his girl back kind of thing quote unquote his girl not to be not that i'm saying you know i'm not being possessive about it <laughs> but that's how they're always sold isn't it you know it's like you belong with me kind of thing um it's it is icky it's yeah i mean again that's where some of this film is tonally all over the place if you get him eavesdropping on lois and richard talking when they're looking at him they're like how tall do you think clark is i love that little wave he gives it's a really nice comedian moment. but then you balance that with him floating outside their bedroom window even if once he knows jason's son even him sneaking into his bedroom is a little bit squiffy <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I agree. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's not great. It's not, a, it's not, it's not a great look on the character. It's like, you know, you, you, you feel, you, you know, you do feel for him that he's been gone. This woman he loved moved on at the same time. It's like, well, what did you expect? I was going to say it was his choice. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing, you know, the sympathy only, only kind of goes so far. So yeah. I, I think mean, that's like you an say aspect as of well, this. if you take in the Donna films by this point, he knows he can't make that relationship work. 
Yes, that uh, I, I know. I think he's aware of that as well. It's part of the thing about why it was so hard for him to, again, it's more in the deleted scenes about why it's hard for him to go back to Metropolis and live in a lie. That, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I'm trying to remember like when I, when I, when I did this on my show, did I ever talk about this? <laughs> I, I did, but uh, now it's all kind of blurring together. But yeah, I mean, that is, I think, a, a, at least a valid question. It's like, what, what does he want really? You know, especially in, I mean, again, by the end, he knows that Jason is a but just child. But even before that, it's like, what what does he want from Lois? Yeah, right. In terms of their their conversations, uh, this the the eavesdropping. Because yeah, I mean, if you if you look at those those two movies, especially Superman two, it's like it really makes the case. This is not a, a road that he can go down. So, yeah, I don't know, and it's unclear. I mean, I I don't know. It's like I feel like if you look at this in a vacuum. It seems like he wants a relationship with Lois to some extent, but if you look at it in the larger context, it's, it is kind of hard to see how that would track with what what we what's been established. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing is there's very little between Clark and Lois in this. You kind of felt it develop; it's still underdeveloped, but you felt it develop in in the Donna films. So that relationship between, them, particularly in Superman two, obviously once you find that he's Superman, it. I think, but there was always a slight you know, vacant warmth to Margot Kidder's feeling of Clark. You know, he's that sweet guy at work kind of thing. And you don't really even get that here. Um, I don't know if it's Lois just trying to act tough with, you know, sort of not being particularly warm to Clark. I think just asking if she can borrow his stapler. Um, Her reaction to him, like, is this going to affect our relationship? After Perry gives him the blackout story. Um, But that, yeah, that chemistry is missing. I think... I think the other problem is that, in my mind, Superman would see that she's with Richard and that Richard's a good guy. I mean, Richard's basically the Superman of this film. Yes. Yeah, no. Um, that's, he, that's he doesn't have thing... the superpowers, but he's like, he's willing to, he drives Lois. Because his bit of acting, we haven't really talked about James Marsden, but his bit of acting when he asks about, you know, did you love Superman? And she says that, you know, he was Superman. Everybody in the world loved him. And he was like, yeah, but did you? And then he's got that look on his face where he gives that awkward smile where he's like, he wants the answer, but he doesn't want the answer. And he knows what the answer is. And he knows she's going to lie to him. But he's just a really decent guy about it. And, you know, he flies. I love when he first meets Clark and she's listing off like, this is Richard. He's, a, you know, the co-editor. He flies, all this stuff. And he's like, this is Clark. He's Clark. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that personification of Clark. That is what Clark should be, or certainly, you know, the idea of Clark as the disguise that he would just be Clark. Um, right, right. But you don't. At the same time, that just that line tells you that there's no real relationship that's developed between these two. No, it's true. I mean, I, I yeah, I agree about Richard. I think that. I mean, on the one hand, this works against the movie because you know it, it makes it makes. Clark's actions even worse, right? That she's, yeah. he knows she's with someone and he, and he's such a good guy. But even putting that aside for a moment, I do give the movie credit because it would have been very, very, very easy to either make Richard a jerk, yeah. either right out of the gate or reveal it later on or to kill him off. Yeah. And I talked about this when I did my episode. I, man, I thought, I thought they did kill him off. Like, man, my memory of when I went into my rewatch a while back, I was like, yeah, he dies in this. And I kept waiting for it to happen. I'm like, when they rescue him, I must be here. And again, in my mind, like I, 
that that was my memory of it. And and then just kind of rationally, I was saying to myself, well, there's no way, there's no way he makes it out of this movie a lot. And he does. And and I do give the movie credit for that. Because again, yeah. to make him a jerk, to kill him off, either one would have been totally easy. We would have expected it. Maybe as a reason not to do it, right? You want to reverse the audience's expectations. But I'm glad that they did. Like, I really do give them credit for that. Uh, to create a character with integrity. And you're and you're right. When you look at like purely heroic characters <laughs> throughout this movie, it, it really is Richard. Yeah. It's um I, I was exactly the same as you. I thought they're gonna kill him. When I was watching it in the cinema, I was like, well, this is gonna be the bit where Richard dies. And, you know, then that opens the field. Because there's only two ways they can go with it. He either turns out to be like, you know, Metallo or <laughs> Or, you know, he, he happily walks away from Lois, which I don't see happening. Or, you know, they kill him off. You know, you really shouldn't smoke, Miss Lane. Sorry, didn't mean to startle you. No, I'm fine, really. Just wasn't expecting you. With all the press on the plane, I wasn't sure it was the best time for us to talk. Well, there's no press around now. Except for me, of course. I know some people are asking a lot of questions now that I'm back. I think it's only fair that I answer those people. So, you're here for an interview? Okay, then. Where did I put that thing? The right, right pocket. pocket. Let's start with the big question. Where'd you go? To Krypton. But you told me it was destroyed ages ago. It was. But when astronomers thought they found it, I had to see for myself. Well, you're back. And everyone seems to be pretty happy about it. Not everyone. I read the article, Lois. Yeah, so did a lot of people. Tomorrow night, they're giving me the Pulitzer. Why did you write it? I moved on. So did the rest of us. That's why I wrote it. The world doesn't need a savior. And neither do I. I do love when she, when he's first picks her up to fly off, when she says, I forgot how warm you are. That's a really nice little line. Yeah. Um, and a nice little moment. And I do like when, you know, she says, Richards can fly. And he's like, well, if Richard can take me flying. And he's like, not like this. And then she realizes they've been slowly going up off the ground. It's a nice little thing. I mean, this film is, there's some lovely little director moments in this, and this film looks really nice. I wish they toned down the muddy browns on it. I think it's Oliver Harper in his video says that if you look at the trailers, those blues really pop. And actually, when you put the DVD in, the Superman flying with the blue sky in the background really pops. But then when you watch the film, it's a little bit like somebody put it through puddle water. <laughs> I think that, I mean, that's a great point. And I think it's like a few things kind of converging to work against the movie. I do think that more, you know, muddled uh, aesthetic, I think the lack of spectacle that we've talked about, even though there are some great set pieces, but it's, it's still a little bit light on that. And, you know, this is a more melancholy Superman and a, and a melancholy tale, right? Of this guy who's been away and the world's passed him by. The woman he loved is with someone else. He's got this kid. He finds out he's missed out on the beginning of his life. Uh, but I think all of that kind of confused together and 
for, for people who might say that this movie is, is a little dull again, I don't know that I would really kind of subscribe to that. I think there's enough here that it's, it, it is an interesting and an, an entertaining movie enough yeah. overall, but I do understand, like, I do understand that charge that it's a little bit dull. And I think all of these things that we're talking about, when you look at them together, I think it does kind of, they, that they do kind of contribute to that overall sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's lots of, there's lots of little moments in this. Again, I get what people, a lot of people likened it to Star Trek, the motion picture, because Star Trek, the motion picture is another film that's, it meanders along at its own pace. And, you know, it's not the most exciting watch. Again, it's one that, with age people have got a bit more into and uh, where it's going and i think the same with this but there's lots of tiny little i love the bit where after he's rescued the plane he steps onto it and he asks lois specifically if she's all right and the way the people look at him and at lois and back at him and there's those lovely tiny little moments but again i 100 percent see why it is in this that people don't like um, and i can understand that i think there's been a weird thing with this because even brian singer sort of really started dumping on this film um particularly a few interviews i read with him he seemed to be blaming brandon Routh for it, which i think is hot, very very harsh and it was one oh, was interview, there was one interview he did with empire i think friends time of jack the giant slayer is like the mistake he made was casting brandon Routh. he should have cast somebody like nicholas holt it's like dude <laughs> don't throw brandon Routh under the bus he was doing exactly what he was asked to do whether yes. that's singer saying i should have cast somebody who was their own separate thing not christopher Reeve superman but it just and there's a couple of other instances where he sort of seemed to be blaming brandon wraith for it which just seems unnecessarily harsh yeah i hadn't seen or heard that if that yeah i mean that that's a uh, that's a pretty lousy move especially i mean like you said he, you know he was doing what he was directed to yeah. do so um i mean more's come out about brian singer since then where it doesn't seem to be the nicest person. <laughs> no. Um, I, I Yeah, I think Brandon Routh does what he can with it, and he has moments. I love... There's bits that feel oddly flat. When he runs out to, to rescue this um, plane and rips the shirt open, that should have been more of a moment. When Christopher Reeve does it, it's a big moment. Even when Henry Cavill does it in both cuts of Justice League, it's a moment. All right, you could argue we shouldn't have the black suit on under in the Snyder Cut, but that's, a, again, a different conversation. But it's still a moment, whereas in this, it's very like, you know, no, no, no. The, the bit in, I like the lift change. I do like the idea that there's a guy who services those lifts that just keeps finding suits in them. <laughs> yes. I think, yeah, the ward around. I love the little bits in the Daily Planet. I love when the thing's coming towards Metropolis and you get Perry walking, staring out at the newsroom and Jimmy's walking towards the window and they're both transfixed on what's going on. Perry's seeing it through the newsroom and Jimmy's seeing what's actually happening out the window. Um, I love those little moments. I love the when Clark first comes back to the planet and you've got Perry shouting at Jimmy across the newsroom. That all feels really nice. I love when the world's reacting to Superman returning and then it just cuts to Perry and he just sort of slowly slumps back in his chair or sits back in his chair. That's a nice little moment. I'm not sure what is Perry realizing the weight of you know, news is back? Or <laughs> it's, it's, I love Perry doing his briefing as well, you know, all the different things like travel. Where's he been? Fashion. Is that a new suit? I would have quite liked if they'd used the photos of before he went, him to be in the, a Christopher Reeve like suit. And I like the idea that he, he has a new suit and he returns. Yeah. No, that would have been a nice touch. Yeah. You know, 
this version of Perry uh, played by Frank Langella to me was, was fine. was yeah. fine. I mean, I, I've talked about this a lot too. I mean, I, you know, uh, Lane Smith from Lois and Clark, probably my favorite version okay. because there's enough of him barking them around barking orders. Yet you see the softer, more paternal side. I, I don't tend to love the versions of Perry that are just overly gruff and that's it. Yeah. You know, I like to kind of see some of the other layers to the character. This Perry, I don't know, fell somewhere in between because he's not definitely not as blustery as, as some of the others, but, but also doesn't, to me, didn't fall into like the, again, that more Lane Smith, like paternal uh, version either. He just was just sort of somewhere in between and it was okay. I didn't, yeah. I didn't. Oh yeah. He's not going to make but... anybody's top list of Perry White's, I don't think, but again, he's, he's fine for the film and I do enjoy his performance because originally it was supposed to be Hugh Laurie, wasn't it? But he was yes. then tied into house because uh, I think for a long time, Hugh Laurie was sat in Australia by himself waiting for a cast. That's <laughs> uh, what it you. seemed to be. Uh, they'd cast Hugh Laurie first and then, you know, was waiting for everything else to arrive around him, um, which I would have liked to see Hugh Laurie. It would have been interesting, but again, potentially a thankless role <laughs> in the long run. Again, I don't know whether they have plans to develop these things more. Um, Jackie Cooper certainly shined in small bits, but didn't have a lot to do. Superman 3, Superman 4. Superman 4, he had a bit more to do, to be fair. The fight for the planet kind of thing. But again, characters, those side characters are better served by TV because there's more time to do stuff with them, even though even Lois and Clark towards the last couple of series, just they were afterthoughts rather than <laughs> main character kind of things. Yeah, he he has little moments. I like that he gets a great Caesar's ghost in, although it feels a little bit underwhelming. I think that's the problem with a lot of this film is the bits that should be like, yeah, little fanboy moments just feel a little bit kind of like, do it quick and move on. Hmm. I mean, I've always been more of a Great Shades of Elvis kind of man personally, but that was the other beauty of Blaine Smith is that he added a lot of personality to Perry White that wasn't there necessarily. Lane Smith's Perry White is very much Lane Smith's Perry White, and I love it for that. Yes. To the point whenever Lane Smith pops up in like an old episode of Murder She Wrote or something like that, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Um, I've always said one of my favorite episodes of Lois and Clark is the Fly Hard one, not so much for the actual whole episode, but I just love the idea of those guys hanging around the office on a Saturday night, clearing it out. Yes. <laughs> I just I could have watched a whole episode of just the planet crew just hanging around. Where do you stand on the suit? Because again, that was another point of controversy. I know a lot of people thought the S was too small. Yeah, I, don't, I guess I don't have that strong of an opinion on it. I I mean, I don't disagree. Would I have made it maybe a, like a little bit bigger? Yes. I, I you know, <laughs> but it wasn't something that I really had that much of of an issue about. I yeah. mean, overall, it's a it's a very traditional looking costume. You know, with with some modifications, obviously. But it you know it it looked and felt like Superman. I think yeah the Again, the darker colors and the smaller S. I think those were the two things that people kind of, uh, were, you know, were really taking a look at. And yeah, I mean, I don't agree. Maybe a little bit brighter, a little bit of a bigger S. But, I, you know, it wasn't anything that, you know, took me out of it. No. I must admit, when I first saw the photo of Brandon Routh, um, hands on hips, I think it was on the Daily Planet steps, it took that publicity shot. I did think the S looks more. I loved the design of the S. I thought it was a really nice redesign of it. Um, and I like the colours on that. I wish the cape was cloth rather than that weird leather Mackey kind of... Because it, it, it looks brown a lot of the time as well. Um, I think Smallville sort of did it right very briefly, and mostly CGI, but they did it 
where they use the return suit with the cape, the cloth cape. I thought that looked nice. I do like the Brandon Rice silhouette was used on the publicity photo for season 10 of Smallville as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's Tom Welling with Brandon Rice shadow where they did yeah. their Star Wars Phantom Menace teaser thing. I think we've pretty much... Is there any sort of points, bits you really like, little bits? Um, looking at my notes, Superman recharging in front of the sun's a really nice bit and then him flying through the cloud and you just see the heat vision coming first. I love those yeah. little bits. Um, yeah. Um, I like Lex looking at Jason reacting to Kryptonite. You know, he's that boy's father. I like those little bits. Um, I know you said in your podcast, actually, one bit I did want to talk about is Kevin Spacey screaming wrong. Have you warmed a bit more to that? Because I know you're a bit... No, not really. No, that's Because <laughs> I remember that bit in the trailer. I was like, in the trailer, I was like, oh, I really like that. Um, I quite like his little playful bit of you know, Say the thing, say the thing. Cool. There's um at the end of the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray is just an outtake of that of the multiple different Kevin Spacey shouting wrong, which is interesting, but at the same time, you get some Kevin Spacey being Kevin Spacey, not Kevin Spacey being Lex Luthor, and in hindsight, the whole crystals thing. That was one thing. I know Clark throws a crystal to build the fortress in the Superman movie, but that's not the talky crystals. It seemed like a weird thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree. I so guess if he ever spills a drink in the fortress, is he gonna? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think they were really looking to draw that much of a distinction. No, I, guess, I know between the the kinds of crystals, but no, you're right. I mean, I, I don't like. I don't think the intention going back to the the previous movies was was ever that like any one of those crystals, right? Could create he loves, something. He like throws this. a green one, doesn't he? In the if I remember rightly from Superman. I mean, yeah. I I will freely admit I hate Lex being in the Fortress of Solitude. I hated it in Superman 2. I hate it in this. Um, it's kind of like, you know, Fortress of Solitude should be out of bounds. I always liked the thing in the comics, certainly the Triangle Era, it was underground and it or it was under the ice and it moved. It's yeah, it's also um I, I don't like it either either. And I think part of it is it depends what we're saying the Jor-El AI is and can do because the way it's, it's played in these movies when, when Lex infiltrates it, it's like Jor-El like, doesn't like, doesn't know who it is, right? Like yeah. it's just a program that's running, but I feel like we see enough other, I mean, not in this movie, but um, certainly in the Donner cut of Superman two and, and in the first Superman movie, uh, or even going to something like Smallville, where there's a lot of interaction with them and the, the you know the Clark and the disembodied voice in the fortress. It's like, even though it's a program, there's like so much back and forth, and it's yeah. so sophisticated. And and so I don't know. I, I guess it's just I, I do bump up against that where it's like, okay, is it is it just this pre-recorded thing, and it doesn't know who it's talking to ever, or or does it does this program have more more agency and more ability to you know kind of discern what's going on? And I feel like the latter is really what's established more than anything else. So this idea that like anyone can kind of wander in there and put one of these things in and the program won't know. I don't know. I, that I, that always bugged me a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's a plot convenience, isn't it? Right. <laughs> it's yeah. I like to say just it's a bit like villains wandering into the Batcave. It's like, no, no, that's the sacred place. You know? Yes. Yeah, that too, for sure. I do like on the I love the way says Lois Lane with a question mark with a toothbrush hanging in his mouth. It's like wonderful it was a humour, but then, like I say, tonally that Lex is all over the place. 
I like when Lois asked Richard how he got there and he says, I flew. That's a really nice little bit. Um, and I like the yacht rescue. That's quite nicely done. Yeah. Is there any little bits or anything that you want to touch on that we haven't touched on? No, I, I think we've really, we've, we've hit on it. I, again, I think recognizing it for what it is, uh, as this very reverent homage to the Donner movies after a period where all of these different takes didn't, didn't go. Um, I do think it it also does serve as a nice coda to yeah. the Donner movies. Now, again, I, I do think if you look at the Donner cut, absent absent the final scene of him reversing time, <laughs> those two movies then do stand together really nicely. But but even even with that, uh, again, I think this this adds kind of a really nice final chapter to it. And even though clearly they were intending sequels that never that never went. Uh, again, I do think this puts a nice button on the Donner movies. And so I think there's a lot of value to it. Uh, you know, not without its problems and we've talked about them, but it's definitely something I, like I would say if anyone's listening to this discussion and they haven't, like, haven't watched the movie in a long time and maybe came away from an initial viewing with the pretty, a pretty low opinion of the film, like, you know, give it another shot, kind of understanding what it is. And, and I do think there's, there's, uh, you know, something, you know, something there to be enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Sort of then, I was going to come on to it anyway, and it seems like a nice time. Obviously, there was talk of a sequel. The film made enough money that it should have got a sequel. It made more money than Batman Begins did in, in its theatrical run. But obviously, it was tied to the weight of everything that came before. You know, it had the Superman Lives cost built into it, and then any money that was spent developing Flyby and all those. So it was pretty much... It was up against it before he even got out. But they talked about a sequel. They talked about bringing Zod in for a sequel was one of the things I'd read which I guess they kind of kept hold of that and just did it in Man of Steel, but as a reboot kind of thing. I would have preferred if they'd gone maybe Brainiac, but at the same time, like you say, I'm also quite happy this film doesn't have a sequel because it is a nice epilogue closing the book on the Donnerverse. Well, and also, again, going back to what we were saying, and you know, maybe maybe we're we're being too strict with this, but but if we are sort of keeping in mind what the Donner movies established where you know he tried to live as a man, this God among men tried to live as a man and, and have this relationship and he couldn't, right? Like he, he, it had to be one or the other and he couldn't give up the, his role as, as mankind savior. So it's like, if you factor that in and you know, what would the potential end game here be? Well, if it's not necessarily a relationship with Lois, now at least he knows he has his son. That's kind of the path to the future. And it's like, yeah, you could see more about that. And it would be cool to see that. But at the same time, you know, I, I think this this still is satisfying enough in and of itself. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. No. I think Brainiac would have been, if they were to, to have done a sequel, I think Brainiac. I mean, that's the thing with like all these Superman movies. And I understand. I think, you know, Lex and Zod are, I mean, probably his, his two greatest villains. And I get why, you know, what the appeal is. But it's like, how many times? <laughs> like every yeah. time there's a movie, it's like Lex or Zod. So yeah, it would have like Brainiac would have been a great, a great choice. Yeah, it's... I. They can do Brainiac now. I get with like Superman 3, the rumor was always that it was meant to be Brainiac before they went the Richard Pryor route kind of thing. Um, there was uh, even one thing that, again, I don't know in hindsight, whether it was speculation in hindsight that Richard Donner was going to, not Richard Donner, Richard Pryor was going to be Brainiac. But again, I don't know how much of that is retroactively people putting ideas onto the film kind of thing. I just, you could do Brainiac now. You could do Brainiac well. One of the things, at least with the Tim Burton one, whether you feel it was going to be a good project or not, they were going to do Brainiac. They were going to give us something we hadn't seen. Well, they were going to do Doomsday as well. 
Um, I'm <laughs> less keen on. I think you need to earn the Doomsday thing rather than just going straight in with Doomsday kind of thing. And you could post animated series as well where they put in that backstory that Brainiac was responsible for the destruction of Krypton. You've got that idea you could explore if you wanted to do that. I mixed feelings on that, but if you have an idea and a way to run with it, I'm all for it kind of thing. Um, I just don't know where they... I would have loved to have seen Brandon Rouse get another Superman movie. I love that he got the finally got to do it in Crisis. And I felt really bad for him because they had to wait out. That's why we didn't get a Superman movie for a while, so they were waiting at his contract. Because he had an option <laughs> on the next Superman movie kind of thing. I don't really know what they could have done in a sequel. Obviously, you've got to develop the Jason story. You've got to develop the Richard story. But satisfyingly, where do we go with it? Again, yeah. you've got you've got such a nice moment with him giving his the Durrell speech to Jason while he's sleeping. That felt like a nice open ended. I grew up on nineties TV. I've got had so many stories over the years that have never actually had a conclusion. They've always ended on a cliffhanger. And I've just learned to accept that quite like a cliffhanger <laughs> ending. Now I like the open endedness of it. Yeah, I, I think you know when I look at at Superman Returns and its lack of a sequel. You know, there's a part of me that says, oh, it would have been curious to see, especially if they had done Brainiac. Uh, you know, again, especially now as a dad, yes, it would have been interesting to see yeah. the father-son relationship develop. So it's not like I look at it and I think, oh, I don't, they, there's nothing they could have done. It's like, no, they, they could have, you know, they, they could have explored something. And you know what, too, maybe they would have recalibrated a little bit and yeah. and not had adhered so closely to the Donner stuff. Maybe they could have, because it's like, again, I, I do think the, you know, the fact that he has this son, I mean, that's, that's a new element. And that's one of the things that I liked about it. So maybe they would have gravitated more that way. But at the same time, I don't look at this and feel like, oh my goodness, like what a trap, like what a travesty yeah. that we never got a sequel to this, you know, especially since Ralph had his moment of redemption in crisis. I, like that was yeah. a really nice, even though we all wanted more, but it, like that was a nice, a uh, nice sort of like epilogue to what he had done. So yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't look at this era and this movie with, a lot of regret as a fan per se. It's like, I, I can appreciate it for what it was, you know, at the same time, I, as someone who did enjoy the Snyder movies, I'm glad we got there. So yeah. that's kind of where I land. Yeah. It's, I, yeah, I don't know. It, it makes me laugh. The people that actively hate the Snyder things that ever say everything they want from a Superman movie. It's kind of like, you got it in 2006. I mean, it, it was there. You just, but that wasn't right either. But then it's like, you know, any form of fandom, nothing's quite to the right tempo for them. Um, one thing I forgot to mention, actually, is I love John Ottman's score for this film. Yeah. The music, it's memories on the CD where Clark, young Clark is running through the field and then starts bouncing. I think that's his Superman theme. A bit like um, on Man of Steel, what you're going to do when you're not saving the world is the Hans Zimmer Superman right. theme. I think that's his Superman theme. If you hadn't used the John Williams Superman theme, that would be the piece of music I'd pick to go in its place. It's a really nice, fun, heroic bit of music. But yeah, that's an aside, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I would have liked to have seen if they did a sequel, uh, a bit like Crisis did, move away from... I. If you're going to use the Donna thing as a crutch for this one, fine, that's your jumping off point. But now go be your own thing. I, again, I wasn't fussed on the Zod thing. Even Terence Stamp had done Zod. Like, what else can we do with Zod? Brainiacs out there, conduits out there. 
I mean, I love Conduit. Like one story arc and then pretty much disappeared. But even some of the lesser Triangle era villains, even you could have done something interesting with Mr. Z. If you want to go out there and mad and fun, Mr. McSpitalik. Um, Bizarro, anything like that. If you want somebody Superman can punch, Bizarro. <laughs> Um, Metallo's yeah, no. still out there. That's the thing. There are so many ways you can go, and it doesn't always have to be one big bad, right? You could use, you know, you could do something like, do do I necessarily think Metallo or Parasite, for example, on their own would would carry a movie? No, not yeah. really. But if they're working for Lex or for Intergang or for some, you know, like there there are ways to that sort of like get some of those lesser villains in there. And so mix do a mini Legion you, of Doom kind of thing. Yeah, you get like a fun set piece, you get some action, but then it, it's kind of all pointing towards a larger, a larger plan or something like that. So there, there are a lot of different routes you can go. Or yeah, if you're sticking with kind of the, you know, the, the heavier, you know, weightier villains uh, that could sustain a movie, yeah, you still have options there. So there, there are definitely ways to go. Yeah, I mean, you can even throw in some of the smaller ones. It's just a bit like they did with. Amazing Spider-Man 2, where he's fighting Rhino at the beginning, kind of thing. Yes. Just, you know, a little thing. It's in there. You get a satisfying action piece to open your movie with, and then you move on to the main villain. Or or do a bait and switch. If you've learned, yeah. learned anything from Superman and Lois, it's they love a bait and switch. <laughs> um, <That> they do. <laughs> but but no, awesome. I think, yeah, I think we've pretty much covered everything on like this. I I highly recommend people check it out. It's a film that I've grown to love and actually really am very fond of. And I'll put a link to the episode you did on it as well. So people can check oh. that out. That was a, it was a really good episode as well. And I appreciate you coming on and talking about it again, even though you've already talked about it. <laughs> no, my, you know, enough, enough time had passed. So I'm happy to do it. So no, I, I thank you so much for, uh, for having me on. That's the other interesting thing about this. I've not yet rewatched Man of Steel for this series episodes we're doing. So I've got that. I'm curious as to how much my opinion is going to change it with the hindsight of the what is now the complete Snyderverse. I, look, and I, I look forward to your coverage on that. I, <laughs> I'll just say, because I've mentioned now a couple of times in this episode that I that I am a fan of what Snyder did. I wasn't always. So I, yeah. which I feel like has given me a, a, a valuable perspective because I, I do understand folks who didn't like those movies. I get it because uh, I came away from both Man of Steel and BVS initially like pretty mixed. And had a lot of the same problems that people have had, but with the passage of time and going back and rewatching and really coming to terms with what story Snyder was telling, what he was trying to accomplish. And then also now seeing across three movies, how it all kind of tied together and getting a sense of the bigger picture, they, they've really come to resonate with me and I, and I enjoy them very much, but again, that, that wasn't always the case. So yeah, I would be curious as you go back yeah. to it and you know, you might come, you know, you might still feel the same or you know, or you might have a different feeling. Yeah, no, and like I say, I love that, you know, people have gravitated towards them and found something to love in them or, you know, grown to love them. I think it's possibly a bit like the issue I had with Smallville initially because I was slightly too old for Smallville when it started. I was in my 20s by the time it started, which roughly there, but slightly out of it. And I was also hardcore into the thing. So it was like they're changing way too much. So I had to start viewing it as like an Elseworlds kind of thing. And once you can view it as your own, its own thing, I think that's part of the problem with being a fan of a particular Superman. Because again, my Superman is very different to the generation before me Superman um, and the generation after me Superman. For some 
Superman fans, the new 52 and a steel Superman is their Superman kind of thing. And that's cool. And that's awesome. Um, but I don't think there's a right or a wrong Superman. And I think that's partly where the fandom falls at the minute is that, you know, that's not Superman. It's like, no, that's not your Superman. I always say I'd much rather a film exists and doesn't work for me than having that thing in my mind of what would Zack Snyder's Superman have been like? That That's the thing, maybe to kind of bring us full circle, right? Talking about the Tim Burton movie that that never was, you know, after watching that, uh, that documentary about yeah. it and listening to Kevin Smith talk about what it would have been and everything, you know, I, I came away thinking, man, it would have been really cool to see. I mean, if if seeing that movie meant that we wouldn't get Superman Returns and or we wouldn't get the Snyder movies, I I wouldn't go so far as to sacrifice what we got in exchange for it. But if there's a, a scenario where the Burton movie came out, did whatever it did, and then we still ended up with the with the Superman movies we got, I would gladly take it. Like, I would have loved to have seen what that would have been. Yeah. I mean, I'm still itching for somebody to realize the potential of doing a stop motion Tim Burton style version of Superman Lives. Looking yeah. at those drawings, it's like I could see yeah. that in a Nightmare Before Christmas style. Oh, that that would be cool. I mean, I and I'm not, you know, I'm not breaking new ground here, but just like just an animated movie. Like I yeah. just I it's kind of bonkers to me that this, it feels like there's potential for, for that. And I think if you could put that Tim Burton style into the animation, it doesn't have to necessarily be stop motion, but if you could get that stop motion feel design in an animated form. I think it would really, really well for it. So you can get that Tim Burton feel. So it may not necessarily be a Tim Burton film, although if they threw the money at it, people would watch it, even out of curiosity. You get enough hype around it, you send it out to enough influencers, and they'll hype it up for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but I just think it's been built up as this mythological thing, whether you like the idea of it or not, you'd still want to watch it out of curiosity. Even if you're like, I want to watch to see how bad this would have been. That's still money lying in your pockets. But it's, again... Just such a weird, I guess there's residuals and back end stuff and all that stuff that stops it from happening. <laughs> yeah, no, I suppose. They, they don't want to have to pay somebody on the back end, but but yeah, awesome. So, I mean, we talked a little bit about the podcast at the beginning, but sort of digging for kryptonite, going strong. Um, like you say, hit 100 and gone beyond. So, yeah, I mean, for anyone who's looking to check it out, so it's Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey, and available on all major podcast platforms or in video form on YouTube. And we have social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Twitter in particular is at Digging for KR Pod. Uh, so I hope people will check it out, will connect. Uh, we cover Superman across time and media, so it really runs the gamut. This summer, we have a huge event uh, about the various uh, crisis level DC events and Superman's role in them. So I'm excited for that. I hope people will check it out. And beyond that show, I also do a George Reeves Adventures of Superman rewatch podcast called Another Exciting Episode in the Adventures of Superman. So anyone who has any affinity for the George Reeves show, I hope you'll check that out. That's been a lot of fun. We're just about done with season one and then we'll take a break and come back with season two. And if there are any Power Rangers fans who are who are listening to this, and I know you've covered the, the Mighty Morphin movie, so maybe there are. Uh, I also do a show called Summoning the Zords, a Power Rangers fan journey where, you know, I'm kind of going back to my to my childhood and, and those early years watching Mighty Morphin and Zeo and coming back with adult eyes. And it, it's been fascinating. So uh, those are the main shows uh, that I'm doing. Uh, so, yeah, if anyone checks them out, I appreciate it. Yeah. And I'll put all the links in the show notes and everything for that. And um, yeah, no. Thanks for coming on talking about this. I've really enjoyed it. And it's been a pleasure to meet you as well because we've spoken a little bit online, but this is the first time sort of speaking face to face. And it's always weird when somebody who's been in my ears has 
you know, now it's like I'm talking to the pod, but it's talking back. <laughs> <laughs> no, likewise, it's great meeting you. Uh, you know, I always say this when, when I have new folks on my show or I do, do this with someone else. It's like one of the true delights of 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 podcasting uh, and especially about Superman has been connecting with fellow Superman fans yeah. and, and all over the world. And, you know, this, you know, this is a great example of that. So, uh, you know, to have the opportunity to have these kinds of conversations, uh, I, and I don't know, I don't know if, if the, it seems silly, but it's like, you know, to, to talk with someone for two hours about any of these topics, um, you know, you just don't always have that opportunity in other settings, but podcasting, you know, creates the space for something like that. So it, it's wonderful. So it was great meeting you. I thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to your, your summer of Superman. Thank you. You will be different. Sometimes you feel like an outcast, but you'll never be alone. You will make my strength your own. You will see my life through your eyes as your life will be seen through mine. Son becomes the father and the father becomes the son Will we see you? Around? I'm always around. Good night, Lois. That was Superman Returns. And why not? I'd like to thank Anthony for joining me on the episode to talk about the film. Please do check out the show notes because there are all the links you need for the Digging for Kryptonite podcast and all Anthony's other podcasts as well. At the time of recording, Superman Returns is available in the UK on DVD and Blu-ray from Warner Brothers. We put a shout out on the socials for your thoughts on and members of seeing the film and we had some replies. At Andy W. Clift on Instagram said, We're so excited to see this in the cinema. The John Williams theme got me pumped. Brandon Wraith was fantastic. The suit didn't work for me, the chest shield was too small. Incredible action sequences, and I dug the bold choice with the child. Probably an hour too long for me, I could go on. Overall, I have a soft spot for this film. 
at piece of rod on Instagram said, I didn't like it much seeing it for the first time in the cinema, but it grew on me over time and I would say I appreciate it a lot more now. At Uramix on Instagram said, Saw the film with an old girlfriend and some friends, and we all really enjoyed it. I still have the ticket for it from the Odeon. Wraith was a great Superman, and if you just went in not knowing it was meant to be any sort of follow-on, it was a bloody good one and done. Also, Superchild was a great little addition. Not sure on Bosworth as Lois Lane, but she does an okay job. Stand-up moment for me is when they're trying to save Supes in the hospital when the equipment breaks. Hate seeing him like that, but it was a good scene, and he bounced back as our boy always does. At Gothamite27 on Instagram said, Sought after supposedly being handpicked by Warner Brothers as one of the most active Superman forum posters in Ireland. Got swept up in the hype and convinced myself it was great for months afterwards. I think there's a lot of good elements and moments in it, but I think the approach was all wrong. The script needed another pass. The uninviting sunset aesthetic to the film needed to be thrown out, and as much as it pains me to say it, they needed older, more established actors playing Lois and Superman. The film is designed as a continuation of the re films, but it doesn't evoke that series at all. If anything, it feels like a vague, hazy meditation on them, rather than an actual sequel. I appreciate why people enjoy the film, it's very interesting as a standalone character piece but something designed to restart a successful franchise is absolutely disastrous. Ross Beamish on the Am Why Not Facebook group said, I thought Brandon Wraith was excellently cast and gave a very authentic and true performance to the character following Christopher Reeve. Sadly, I think the delivery of the film was a bit lacklustre, but there was an undeniable warmth from Wraith. At Drew underscore 3DP on Twitter said, Had my first kid in hospital with some pretty serious stuff that year. Went to see Superman Returns a dozen times. It was my release valve. I'm not going to say it was the greatest Superman movie made, but it holds a special place in my memory. At Gazamagoo on Twitter said, I've grown to appreciate the film more as time's gone on, especially since the latest offerings of Superman. I remember before it came out, there was a furore about how dark the suit looked, but at least it had art and felt like a proper Superman film. At Alfie Gallagher on Twitter said, Remember at a screen in certain action sections were in 3D. Randomly putting the glasses on and off I found distracting and disruptive. Beyond that, maybe a fair to solid movie and hasn't stuck in my head. Remember a prenim bold spacey as Lex. Seems to have been weirdly largely forgotten. At Maximized Comics on Twitter said, I arrived in San Francisco late one evening and was wide awake due to the time difference from home. I took a walk around the city and noticed a midnight showing at the IMAX. Eight people were in the show. There was a break mid-film and we all gathered together for a chat. Thank you to everyone who sent in comments for the episode. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts on the film, you can get involved in the conversation wherever you see this episode posted on our social media channels. So if you aren't already, give us a follow on Threads, Twitter and Instagram, or why not join the Am Why Not group over on Facebook. Not only will we be kept up to date with what episodes are coming up and have a chance to contribute to them, but we also post our picks of three great movies to check out each week on Freeview TV. If you fancy joining us, just search Am Why Not Pod on social media or check out the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and be bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell your friends about it. And why not give the series a follow or subscribe over on Acast or wherever you listen to the episodes. If you're feeling super generous, we'd be grateful of a rating if you have a second or two to spare. Or don't, we're just grateful that you spent the time listening to us, thank you. And if you enjoy podcasts talking about Superman, I've put some links in the bonus features section of this episode's page on the Haunted Nerds website for you to check out as well. There's also a link to the Superman homepage, so if you're looking for more Superman goodness in your life, there's a good place to start. If you've missed any and why not episodes so far, you can find them on our podcast channel over on Acast, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, or on our website at hauntednerds.com. In the meantime, we're back on Tuesday the 15th of August, where we'll be bringing the Summer of Superman to a close with returning guests Damian Edwardson and Dennis Will, as we discuss Zack Snyder's 2013 DCEU launcher, Man of Steel. But until then, this has been a Nerds of Haunted Themselves production, and I've been Stuart Moraine. Thanks for listening, and remember, Pulitzer Prizes are like Academy Awards. Nobody remembers what you got one for, just that you got one. Bye for now.